You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Stove here, excited to continue our series featuring NLC alums who are working on the COVID front lines doing inspiring work for their community. Jonathan Richardson is here. He was a 2016 fellow NLC Capital District, New York. I'm not sure we've had anyone from that chapter on, so excited to touch base with him. He's been doing incredibly meaningful work. Was not listening to me anymore. Was listening to him. Let's get to it. All right, Jonathan, what exactly is the Capital District, New York? What does that area encompass? Uh, we're based in Albany, New York, but we encompass a handful of counties surrounding uh, the Albany, New York area. So it, depending on your definition, it could range from four to 14 counties um, surrounding us in New York State, but primarily focused on uh, Albany, New York, and the capital. And are you from that part of the country? You've ended up there for work? How did you get started um, over there? I'm actually originally from Syracuse, New York, so central New York. I was born and raised there and came out to the Capital District for graduate school. So I got my graduate degrees at the University at Albany and uh, met my fiance here, got a job and have settled in since. So I've been here for about seven years now. Nice. And so I'm sure being settled there and being there for a couple of years has really helped with the work that you're doing presently. So you were able to, to launch... Uh, with partnership with the United Way uh, COVID-19 Response Fund. Tell folks a little bit of the origin of that and how it came to be. Sure. So, yeah. So, I work at uh, my local community foundation. We are kind of a philanthropic hub for the region. So, we partner with a lot of donors and funders to distribute out funds to nonprofits. So, when the COVID uh, pandemic was kind of growing in uh, attention and kind of more shelter-in-place orders were being enacted, um, we, um, the Community Foundation team, met with United Way and a couple other funders um, in mid-March to kind of coordinate a response effort. So we um, very quickly uh, coordinated efforts and collaborations along dozens of funders to um, say, hey, we need to come together, we need to support our nonprofits and kind of work with them as well. So in mid-March, we quickly coordinated um, a call of dozens of funders to come together and say, hey, we need to come together, a regional unified response, and uh, set up you know, a fund to support this. So uh, we set up the fund very early uh, for our region and uh, quickly raised resources to kind of get um, resources directly to the community to just meet the increased demand that many of our nonprofits are facing. And I think a lot of NLC alums work in this space, whether it's the philanthropic space or at least have experience seeking grants or writing grants or judging grants. So in terms of you creating the application structure for this experience, how did you think through some of the challenges there? Yeah, so we uh, were lucky to have a, a great network of community foundations to share resources. But the main thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to make this as easy as possible. We didn't want to have a lot of funding restrictions on this because no one needs that right now. Everyone just needs resources. They just need support too as well. So all of our grants are just general operating grants. They can use it for forever. Whatever they need and what their emerging needs are, they, they do inform us of that too. But we just wanted to create an easy, simple process. So I quickly put together a Google Form survey. You know, it's very, very brief. Just, you know, give us the details of what you need. Um, explain to us as well how much and, you know, we distribute out to. So we do, um, we wanted the process to be as efficiently and easy as possible. So um, because no nonprofit right now who's worried about feeding, you know, five times more demand than they usually are, are going to have the time to fill out this lengthy application. So we just wanted to make it as easy as possible. 
Yeah. And then what's been your strategy on communications for this project? Once the money started flowing out, I'm sure there was a lot of personal stories that would have been very compelling to folks. How do you manage what actually is the message that you want people to receive? Yeah. So um, a mix of things. So in partnership with the United Way, the Community Foundation are the, were the two main organizations that organize it. So I manage a community foundation communication. So we meet regularly just to discuss what we want to communicate. So uh, press releases, we're doing advertisements to raise money for the fund. Um, and we've been doing a lot of outreach to the nonprofits who have received funding. We've made over 60 grants so far. Um, so we reach out to the organizations and say, you know, what can you share with us to make it as seamless as possible? So they share a lot of great info with us to then distribute out to funders to um, encourage more giving uh, to the community to kind of spark some individual donations and uh, to other nonprofits just to showcase the work that we're doing as well. So uh, a lot, obviously a lot of digital <laughs> uh, coordination, you know, with emails. Uh, we've done lots of press releases, lots of press announcements too creative communications to, to kind of get that out as well. But the main reason is to get news about the fund and then encourage more resources to come in so we can deploy them right back out. Do you feel like there'll be any practices that are permanently changed based on your organization's and your foundation's experience doing the type of work you're doing now? Will this make grant applications different in the future? Will this make how you give out money different in the future? What do you suspect might happen? Yeah, I, I, um, I think people are having that conversation now, now that we're kind of um, thinking about what uh, post-COVID pandemic future looks like. So we haven't made any specific decisions, but we, you know, at the foundation, we really realize that we need to be more, um, one, accessible to our community. So we've made things a little bit easier in terms of our applications. Uh, we want to think about some ways to be more virtual so that we don't have, like, we're still cutting checks at the moment. What can a future look like where we can just directly distribute funds into uh, nonprofits bank accounts, or what can we do to make it easier a process so we don't have to worry about if we can't go physically to the office too as well. So we haven't made any final decisions, but we, you know, a lot of us are having those conversations about, you know, how can we adapt to make ourselves more virtual and adaptable, but also make it easier for our community to access the resources they need. And then for yourself as a progressive, do you have thoughts on any large structural changes that you feel like you'd want to see happen? You know, talking about getting money more directly to people. We all sort of played along and smiled, I think, with Andrew Yang and his UBI, but then it's all of a sudden a very topical, real thing. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about uh, wealth taxes and tax structure and how philanthropy can play a role in supporting people as you're obviously doing right now. But you know, longer term, wouldn't it just be better if people who had tons of money paid a higher tax rate more aligned to, say, the 40s or 50s so that we could uh, have resources to support people through this time? How do you think through some of these policy debates right now as a progressive who works in philanthropy? Yeah, no, great question. So, you know, personally, you know, I'm all for, you know, thinking about re our tax structure, making sure that um, information, you know, the resources are, you know, allocated equitably too as well. That includes a lot more of taxes, you know, um, rethinking how wealth is distributed. There's a big movement in the um, philanthropy community to increase the payout for foundations. So right now it's a 5% minimum payout that foundations have to distribute each year. So, but there's push to increase that because, you know, 5% of millions of dollars may be a lot, but, you know, there's all these essentially dollars still being um, allocated and kind of saved as well. Now, community foundation, we don't 
we're not a traditional type of foundation. So we distribute out funds, you know, we have, we manage over 450 types of funds. So we do it a different way, but, you know, encouraging people, um, giving more kind of tax incentives to kind of uh, make sure that, you know, people can give out money easier and it kind of ends well, or requiring foundations to give out a little bit more money to kind of advocate for that too. Or, and also making sure that the people making the decisions behind philanthropy are more representative of the community as well. So, you know, we're not there yet, but we've definitely seen more foundations incorporate more members of the community that they're trying to serve, diversify their funding structures, you know, making sure that we can kind of uh, say that we're kind of addressing vulnerable and under-resourced communities, but not actually representing them at the table or board of directors and stuff like that too as well. So. You know, that's definitely a, a huge step that they need to make is, you know, if we want to get resources to the communities and address equity issues, they need to be represented at the table so that they know how to best recommend, you know, distributing those resources out. When we come back on the Zag, we'll talk a little bit more with Jonathan about life in the Capital District of New York and also his experience with NLC. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. Yeah, Jonathan, last thing, you know, we're in the application window for folks who might want to consider NLC Institute in 2021. And uh, obviously, we'll have to figure out how in-person or virtual that experience will be, but the content of the experience will still be the same and still be true. If you had advice for folks who were considering whether or not to do NLC, what would you tell them to do? I would definitely say, I mean, do it. I mean, I have been part of the NLC network now for over four years. And have really valued the experience. I think for many of us who um, are want progressive change, kind of want in that space and want a community to just help support and motivate you to move forward, that's where you're gonna find it too. Like NLC is where we find it as well. Like often I'm the youngest person at the table or the only Latino at the table, or the only queer individual at the table. So sometimes it's exhausting to go in those spaces and say, oh, I need, you know, to step up and advocate for myself. But when I go to NLC, there's so much great, uh, and a network of diverse and talented individuals doing amazing work. And we're all just dedicated to supporting each other as well. So if you need the motivation, you need the support, you need resources and connections, you know, definitely, you know, apply to NLC and, you know, it's a valuable experience and network to be a part of. Absolutely. Well said. Listen, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for all the work you're doing. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. Catch all episodes in all the places you get your podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google. They're all there. Short and sweet episodes featuring NLC alums from across the country doing important COVID frontline work. We even featured a bunch of educators last week for Teacher Appreciation Week. Check those out as well. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.